Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave Turner. I'm back from the Ambiente Show in Frankfurt, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as I usually am, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Fine. Great. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I owe you gentlemen both and our listeners an apology because of a little bit of overscheduling. We missed our last schedule every other Thursday podcast session. So uh, definitely that was my bad. We didn't get any presents from you from your overseas trip. You didn't get a t-shirt or anything? Would you like a t-shirt? No. No. <laughs> Anyway, we've got to get some of our general business out of the way, and then we'll get on with our podcast. And for you new listeners, every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so podcast where we showcase interesting tabletop-related products and ideas, all with the idea of engaging the dining guests and elevating the guest dining experience, and all the while hoping the operator increase their profitability. Along with new products and ideas, every other Thursday is where we also undertake a vigorous roundtable discussion on some of the hot topics of the moment, and of course, this week, going to be no exception at all. We got a good one this week. Also, I want to let everybody know that this week's episode of Every Other Thursday, like every other episode of Every Other Thursday, is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Been doing it for nine years now, and who would ever thought? So now, as I mentioned before, here at Every Other Thursday, we showcase new ideas, new concepts, and they'll help operators bring more business in their doors and increase their profitability. And we start it each episode with Greg bringing his, his latest big idea. So take it away, Greg. What do you got for us this week? I'd like to uh, pile on to our last hard-hitting Every Other Thursday episode. They are pretty hard-hitting. <laughs> I talked about the issues that we, we know what all oh, what's going on in uh on the tabletop, it's limited real estate. And the trends that are going on is a, a continued move to more and more small plates and varieties. So the real estate is getting very crowded. And so the last time we talked about vertical racks, where a server could come and, and put multiple plates on, uh, on, a, on a rack and, 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 and provide variety for the guests that way. I was thinking more about it and so an old idea came back forward again, and that's Lazy Susans. Now, when I say Lazy Susans, that conjures up ideas about grandma's place and perhaps very stereotypical ethnic places uh, in Chinatown, but it, they re it really could make a lot of sense. It creates a, an efficiency on the tabletop. It's easy to reach. It does all these things that we keep on talking about. It, it promotes participation. Among the guests, there's some theatrics in it. I just think that's another one of these ideas that it's been around a long time, and maybe it's coming full circle. It's time for it again, for to help provide more efficiency and enjoyment at the tabletop. But Greg, what is it that you, how do you see today's, the Lazy Susan of today versus uh, what I would think of as the Lazy Susan I saw at my grandmother's house? Well, perhaps it could be. 
the one at your grandmother's house could it could provide probably the same service in that you know we have all these plates coming and whether it's a true spanish type tapas place or mediterranean place or not whatever the type of cuisine more and more small plates and dinnerware is crowding the tabletop and the waste staff shows up and they're moving things around juggling things around trying to get room can i take your plates here where can we put these the guest has to help find room yeah i agree i agree space is a space is an issue and, and there's all this sharing going on on the tabletop so what could be easier you could put multiple small plates on this lazy susan you take yours and which is the whole purpose of lazy susan Pass it around. Hey, I want some more of that. Okay, it's at the far end of the table. I'll just do a little spin job here, and there it is. I don't know. It's just, it's again, it conjures up old ideas, lots of stereotypes about it. It's old-fashioned. But I think that, that it makes sense in a lot of ways. What do you guys think? Jay, you're a Lazy Susan kind of guy, Jay. Yeah, I had a cousin named Lazy Susan. She wouldn't help anybody cut the grass. That's the last Lazy Susan <laughs> I was ever involved with. I, I don't know. I mean, I... It, it, I mean, I, I know what you're talking about, and I know about the size issue. I just wonder if it'll if certain style tables will be limited, like if you're on a four top, a two top, or a six top, depending on the rest, the type of restaurant, if that'll have an effect. The other thing that I always wonder about is, if you serve me my plate of food, it's my plate of food. If you serve me something that somebody else has been picking out of, and God forbid they double dip if it was a potato chip party, I don't know. I don't know. What I mean, how many times have you been to restaurants lately where you know the the, the wait staff? comes to the table and says, you know, this is designed for people to share. You know, these dishes are for people to share and, and these advertisements are enough for two or enough for three or enough for four. I haven't run across a place. I mean, when's the last time you saw that? Did the Brazilian restaurants do that? It was mainly the Oriental restaurants. This wasn't even either. This was the place that I was at was one of the top end places, Italian places in Chicago. Again, it was everything was served for everything in this restaurant. And I, I'll name it. It's Monte Verde in the West Loop. They uh, serve things family style. Yep. But, you know, and so. Yeah, I just haven't. I haven't seen one in so long. I'm not gonna say I don't know. I mean, I wonder if it will have an effect on the table dimensions in a restaurant. You know, what? How many different style tables do they have? Would, would one size Lazy Susan work on all of them? Or some of them would you have to have two? You know, two of them if it's a six top or something like that. Yeah, last time I was in a Korean restaurant, we cooked right in the middle of the table. And I thought that was pretty cool. You cooked the meats and, you know, you had some side dishes going all around. Would they have to, are you talking about something that they would put right into the table, Greg? Build it into as part of the table? That, that sounds expensive to me. It, to me, it'd be uh, a Lazy Susan device, be, for lack of a better term, that, you know, you buy separately and just place on the top. For an analogy, it would be like a uh, rotating cake stand, but large, but, but probably larger. Do you know of producers who make that such an animal right now? Because you're right, there are small dishes and there are round buffet pieces that sort of uh, modular pieces that go in together, interlock, if you will. Bauscher has some, Rack has some, and they're, and they're all circular and they, you can make different designs. But I don't really know of anything that spins. I've seen a condom inside, salt and peppers and that kind of stuff. That I've seen in some different places there you go. yeah but it's it's small it's not a big thing it's you know maybe it's a foot foot and a half in diameter it's got a bunch of the different spices on it or salt and pepper tabasco sauce and that kind of stuff sure i mean that that's exactly the same thing on a, on a smaller scale but again that makes sense because it's you know it's efficiency it uses up the space correctly Plus it, it, yeah i was gonna say it organizes stuff too exactly 
to tell you the truth, I haven't done much research, and the reason is because in, in preparation for this episode, this, this idea just kind of came to me uh, very recently, and so I, I haven't had a chance to uh, follow up. We always talk about the dialogue. How would you see the dialogue going between the dealer salesperson and the operator? Again, you know, the uh, dealer salesperson comes in, talks to the operator, and says, okay, what, what's going on in your restaurant? You've got smaller plates. You have a lot more dishes. They're made to be shared. People want variety. All this stuff is going on, and yet the tabletop size isn't changing. That's static. So how can you, Mr. Operator or Ms. Operator, solve your problems of limited real estate? You know, instead of juggling all these plates and moving things around, and how can you do that? Well, Lazy Susan might be, like I mentioned last week or last episode, go vertical, and this one would be more more horizontal. Well, you know what? You, you mentioned that, but it, won't, it just popped into my head, too. And I can't remember where it was, but I believe I've seen that a couple of times when people are serving a big seafood tower. A two level, a two level guy. It, it turns. Yeah, yeah. Both of those things turn. Great, because otherwise you 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 know you can't really. I mean, some of those seafood towers are hundred bucks. I mean, they're big. You got pieces of lobster, shrimp, oysters, whatever it is. That's built into the tower itself. That spinning ability. Yeah, it's just like a, a big thing. You may you know how they used to serve those cookies and stuff on multiple levels. It's just two big ones. Maybe one's two feet in diameter. The other one's a foot, foot and a half, or whatever. They bring it to the table that way. Now I've seen that. That's right, and that's and that actually the, uh, the seafood tower was something that came to mind when I was talking about the vertical racks last time. Right, you're absolutely right. See, actually, you know, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think trying to sell that as a way they're going to serve main courses of food. I don't know, but I think, I think the appetizer thing or the dessert thing and stuff like that—that's in a whole other kettle of fish. Now, now that I think about it that way, I go. That makes sense. Yeah, it seems like lately, whenever we've got something like that going on, the server brings a stack of small plates, bread and butter plates, salad plates, whatever, and just slams them down on the table. And you've got the whatever it is that needs to be shared is in a, in a basket, whether it's onion rings or wh- whatever it, it might be, is it, slammed down beside it and, let, and you're left to sort of figure it out yourself. And I, I like the idea that there's something moving around. I can get at it, particularly if it's a complicated and there's a lot of food on it. Maybe it's different different things. I like that. I like that a lot. Question is, I guess, is how do you, how do you integrate that, and and where does it come from? Does it come from the? It might be an interesting proposal for dinnerware companies. Let's say a Bausch or a Rack, who I mentioned before, has small plates, and they want to have something, a small one unit thing that that is what twenty four inches or thirty six inches, thirty inches maybe, let's say, in di- in total diameter, which which rotates, and th- and their plates fit in it. Exactly. So think about it. All of a sudden, a great way to sell more dinnerware, and you're locked in because that dinnerware is made to fit into that into that rack. Is there? Uh, let me just skip to the type of cuisine. Is there some sort of ethnicity or type of cuisine, whether it's Ethiopian, whether it's Korean, whether it's some sort of special cuisine that this lends itself more to than others? You think? Not necessarily, because when you think about it. Small plates goes across everything. I mean, I've seen small plates, the whole small plates trend in every type of cuisine. Now, the ones that make that perhaps it's most skewed towards is, of course, Spanish, Mediterranean, that type of thing. But there's probably not a single cuisine that I haven't seen where, you know, where you walk in and they go, hey, this is a small plates concept. It's made to be shared. 
And I will say, there was a real quickly, uh, Pete Wells was the restaurant critic for the New York Times. I heard him recently on, a, on a, another podcast say that he, the one of the phrases that he hates most is, hi, we serve small plates and they're meant to be shared. Because that, that in itself is kind of an oxy, oxymoron. But they be that as it may, that's, what, that's, what's, going, that's what's going on. When you were in the Italian restaurant where they did that, what, what, what was the presentation like? You know, it was like we ordered several couples. We ordered several uh, appetizers. And then the mains, if you will, were sort of quote-unquote family style. So it was meant to be passed around. They were put in the middle, and then you uh, dip from it. Like, I believe there was, you know, very classic stuff. It's kind of a a modern twist on Italian. I believe there was was polenta with ragus on top and and joints of meat. So the spaghetti was served, was a spaghetti served in a bowl that had tongs or something like that? That's exactly exactly right, yeah. I just see the application. In my my mind, I I mean, I wonder how many places in Chicago if you went to a 50 restaurants or 100 restaurants, you'd find using that. But I think the dessert and the you know the small plate stuff, green beans, the sides, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have seen that in that Italian restaurant. That's pretty interesting. So there, there may be a future, after all, for the bread and butter plate, because bread and butter is gone. Plates are gone, I think, for in large part. I'd be interested to see if there's a particular size plate Bread and butters have typically been six and a quarter kind of inches. And I'm just wondering if there isn't a, a, with a cake plate, the quote unquote cake plate being a little bit smaller. I'm just wondering if there's a specific size plate that work would work better in that kind of concept than others. Yeah, I don't know. If you, if you go to Capitol Grill in Chicago, what they're going to do is they're going to bring out a big basket of the multitude of six, five, six styles of bread. And then you pick it out and put it on your plate. They don't even serve you a tongue with it, so you're using your hands, which is kind of interesting. But no health issues there. Well, yeah. Well, you you, <laughs> you want to get into a touchy subject? Let's talk about health issues. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's 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 a whole nother kettle of fish. But yeah, I, I just haven't seen one in so long. Morton's. I'm not sure if they're the one, but they may be the one that used to use the big seafood tower. That'd be an interesting thing to check out. I mean, you know anybody you know, that you could call? The last time I saw a big seafood tower like that was at I think Shaw's. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and and that was an extravaganza. And we're right. We had, I think, I don't know, probably six people, seven people around the table, all sharing, pulling off of it. Yeah, because I've seen them where they didn't spin, and it was really a, it was a handful. To it was actually not too cool. Really. Yeah. It was really yeah. More I, I, I think this one did not spin, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we had p- different people. Give me your plate. We'll serve yeah. and that kind of thing. Well, there you go. There's another concept. We need a spinning seafood tower. Maybe that's the next episode. Somebody had one. I mean, I don't, I can't remember. Oh, I, I can't. Yeah, somebody has to have one. Are you kidding me? That's. I mean, that that seems like a no brainer. All the ones I've seen are static, but yeah, I was going to say I don't recall seeing one spin, but it, it just seems so simple that maybe maybe that's the lazy Susan of the future. That's an interesting topic. You know, maybe we, if somebody uh, out there that listens to us could chime in on it, like. Can they, can they email us, Dave, or can they email? Sure, they can get a hold of us through Tabletop Journal, my email at a Tabletop Journal, but you can send a, a message through to everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. And yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. It, it would be interesting, especially, I'd love to hear the dealer salesperson's thoughts on this one too. Well, and you know, finally, we touched on it just a little bit. Of, uh, it's sort of like the old Xerox model where you don't really make the money on the copy machine, you make the money on the toner and the paper. So in this case, 
you get operators to buy your lazy Susan or your tower, but it's custom made to fit your dinnerware. So all of a sudden you're, you sell you sell the dinnerware and you're and you're locked in. Yeah, and, and the other thing too, Greg, you you've talked about it on a bunch of episodes of every other Thursday about the theater right. that's going on here. I, I really think that something like this, particularly when, because now you're talking about last week it was going up. But now we're talking about rotation. I think it brings a lot of theater. That kind of thing brings a lot of theater, too. It's fun. It's fun. That's what people want. Yeah, I don't know if you'd have it in every restaurant up and down the street, but I think there are restaurants where it definitely would work, and people would pay for that kind of theater, too. I'm going to drop a note to Chef Matt up at Smith & Walensky, because remember we that's where we saw the uh, yeah you, the hanging racks? I'm going to call and see if they've ever thought about something that, that spun around on the table. It'd be interesting to get a, get some feedback from him. Yeah, he would have, uh, you know, in 30 seconds, he would have us a, a great read on whether that might work or not, too. Well, I think the interesting thing is everything we talk about here, it's a new and it's a service idea and it's it's a, an experience situation. And, you know, I think that I think the reason that that's important is because our industry has not been real creative. And I don't know if it's a fair thing to say. I'm going to say it, but I, you know, I don't know if the industry has been. It seems to me like everybody has been streamlining in my business. I'm in the glassware business and, you know, Guess what's happened to us? The all-purpose glass is king. I mean, there's more and more places. you got to really work to go in to find a restaurant today that even puts a, a red and a white glass on the table, let alone years ago. I remember walking in, it'd be a Pinot, a Cab, a white wine, and a champagne flute at every single place setting. You don't see it anymore. It's too bad, you know, because you go spend two, three, four hundred dollars $400 a person for a really exclusive meal for your anniversary or whatever. You want it to be really special. And I'll tell you, some of the highest levels of service and some of the restaurants with some really expensive wine lists still using an all, I mean, using an all-purpose product but with this kind of an approach this lazy susan approach pivotal turning rotational whatever on the seafood towers for example beyond the cost of of the unit itself the only other cost you have is you probably have to load up increase your inventory of whether you, you know, seven inch plates, uh, salad plates type, you know, that size. And probably you can get away with a few less, what I'll call dinner plate sizes. So the increase in one side, the smaller size plate is going to be offset by the, okay, I have to, now I don't have to buy quite as many dinner plates. But I just think the theater of it, I think it's definitely a differentiator. And especially if you can go up while you're also having that rotation capability. I love it. Some dealer salesperson or maybe a, a chef like you mentioned, Jay, will come up and tell us that this is why, it, you know, that's a great idea and it works in these kinds of restaurants. Or they'll say, we tried that and it just doesn't, it doesn't go. It isn't, doesn't work. I don't know. But I like the idea a lot. I think the biggest, I think one of the big things would be, because I mean, some of that stuff, I mean, I don't think it'd be any more expensive than a chafing dish. But to me, it, it'd be interesting to get a, an operator's perspective on what kind of tables that works on. Does it work better on a round table? Does it work better on a square table? But if you're getting six six or eight people around a table, they're not round and they're not square, they're oblong, and then you're going to need a couple of them. But that's okay. If it's saving space, it probably it may work better as, as you expand the party because then you're not passing stuff all the way around. Greg, you're familiar with the uh, upscale housewares for the home segment. Is there anything in that that is sold by great kitchen shops or great culinary shops that are, are similar for use in the home? Well, the ones that come to mind immediately are for pastries and cake, where that's kind of where you have the you know, celebratory stuff, the drama, you know, everybody's looking at the cake itself. So this is similar but different in that you want to have that drama 
and that attention, but at the same time, you need it to be more utilitarian, where you have, you know, more dishes, more room, better efficiencies. So desserts could be another option. Jay, I think you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I think appetizers and desserts are where the action would be on that. I, I mean, you know, Seasons 52 used to bring out that kind of almost look like a metal bridge with a handle on it. And they put the, I forget how many it had, but they put one inch square Libby, almost like shot glasses. And every one of those was an individual dessert. And I forget now they had to, they still use it, but I, they used to leave it at the table. And I think the challenge there was if you took one out and that's all that was eaten, they have to throw it all away. So I, I can't remember <laughs> they still do. No, no, seriously, because you can't, again, you get back to that health, that health issue. So I don't know. Well, who'd ever thought that we'd be sitting here today talking about Lazy Susan's? A great idea, great concept, Greg. Appreciate the uh, new thoughts on that. And if I'm sure we're going to hear from people. So that's great. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about drama a little bit. We're going. Jay's been talking about health issues. We're going to talk about coronavirus and sort of what everybody here, the gang of three, thinks of where that's going and how it's going to impact our business. We'll be right back with more every other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with every other Thursday. We've got Greg Kiris with us today again, and Jay Alley, of course, and I'm Dave Turner, your host. And we've just been talking Lazy Susans for 20 minutes or so. And now something a little bit more serious. I want to get you guys thoughts on where this whole coronavirus thing is going. And more importantly, or maybe most importantly, how you all think it's going to affect our industry. Jay, you're a, you're a guy who's been through a lot in this industry in terms of distribution and getting products uh, shipped in from different parts of the world. What do you think the impact of the coronavirus is? You know, I think in the next couple, three weeks, maybe a month at the most, we're going to really find out what we really know and don't know about it. I mean, I think, you know, I hear so much on the news about you can't trust the numbers that are being reported, you know, yada, yada, yada. To me, it's scary as heck. It seems to me like it would, if you're a senior citizen like I am and it gets a hold of you and you don't have a decent immune system, you toast. I mean, the percentage of people dying from that opposed to dying from the flu, I think it, I was trying to catch it this morning, but I missed it. But it sounds like it's it's getting dangerous, more dangerous. And the thing I wonder about is how long will it be before countries start saying, if you're coming from these areas that got real bad outbreaks of it, you can't come to our country. And how do you, how do you handle that? Well, they already are. I mean, Russia's not letting anybody in. And there was somebody else just announced that the other day, too. So I, th I think some of that's already started. And then, when, when I, Greg, again, you're, you're close to the retail segment, uh, particularly in housewares and all. And I know a lot of the houseware products come out of that part of the world, out of China. Now, okay, it, you can say, well, it's, it's still in the early spring. It's um, not March yet. We're not worried about the big selling seasons. But the retail business works six to eight months out. So there's got to be a big concern on the on the for the retailers of this country too. Sure, people are already looking out towards Christmas, and so you know, doing the buying now and the securing of the product, you know, and signing contracts and getting it manufactured and getting it on a boat, and getting it over here. So already we're looking at 
major repercussions down down the road. Does anybody know what the situation is if, if an infected person packed a box of glassware or dinnerware or whatever? How that how long will that virus survive before it croaks on its own? I don't think that answer is known, but certainly the transmission of the virus. I mean, if you can just imagine everything from ob- the obvious one is a door handle, a sneeze or you know cough. Yeah, anything, and and that's why that's why you see the people. I don't know if it's the actual virus itself or the fear of the virus that's that's uh, worse, but uh, it's shutting down. I mean, for the food service and the hospitality industry, it impacts on so many different levels. So it's, no, it's going to kill a buffet restaurant. So, I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, I won't say kill them, but boy, it's going to be a, a challenge. And, you know, it, it, I heard something the other day. I don't know if you guys heard it, but all of this baloney about these masks and stuff. I mean, they're saying they don't work and they're saying in some situations it's, it can be worse than not wearing one because you put it down somewhere, you pick up whatever impurities are on the surface, you let your mask sit down on. So who knows how crazy this is going to be. People were stealing them out of the hospitals left and right. I mean, it's nuts. You know, I, th- I think, and this is early on in this whole deal. Yeah, I think the suppliers who source products in China, obviously that's where their supply chain comes from. They definitely have issues with factories being idle, but it goes all the way through the supply chain. And then when you get onto the operator side, you have you have a place like Macau, which I don't know, my understanding is it's bigger than Vegas. And so that's shut down for a month. And you have airlines who are no longer flying, and you know two thirds of the airlines aren't flying into China anymore. Cruise ships who definitely rely on the Chinese tourism and travel trade; those people aren't traveling. Yeah, it's going to get serious real quick. I mean, the CDC ought to be. I mean, I think our country is pretty darn ethical when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think somebody needs to find out some of these answers about what's the transmission process and gestation process. They're saying what two weeks. Well, let me put it into something that. I just came through Ambiente. I'm going to come back around to the impact of the NRA show coming up. But Ambiente's attendance from visitors, I think, was off something on the magnitude of about 20%. And you had, you could definitely feel it in the halls and the, in the different floors in the buildings. People nervous. There's a lot of people wearing masks, obviously a lot not. But now if if we get let's say another month or two down the line and this thing is not resolved. What do you guys think the impact of the national restaurant show in Chicago in May is going to be? Well, it could go either way. It could, it could be, I mean, didn't it, wasn't ambient. I heard that there was a lack of American participation. that really drove the number down. I mean, visitors from the, from Europe and Asia, it seemed like that was okay. Well, anecdotally, I had people tell me that they had, uh, cause again, it's a consumer primarily historically and primarily still is a consumer goods fair for the retailers uh, of the world. And anecdotally, you had people telling me that XYZ retail chain out of Tesco, for instance, out of the UK, nobody came. They had, they normally send 12, 15 people, zero came to it. Nobody, they cut travel. And I don't know whether they use that as an, the virus as an excuse to save money and not travel. But the reality is, is that people are, f- are afraid to travel. They're afraid to be in public spaces. And if this continues on, uh, well, we're going to see it. The, the houseware show is coming right up in, in Chicago at McCormick. That'll be a precursor. To, I, my guess is uh, right now you've got people uh, trying to cancel out and or changing their travel plans to come there. Well, I'm going to, just before that show, I'm going down to a big wine festival uh, in Charleston, and we'll see what the attendance there is. 
No, I did hear that wine is one of the f- antidotes for uh, coronavirus. You have to drink copious amounts of wine out of good German glassware. I thought it was bullet bourbon. Uh, but no, bullet bourbon does it too. I think well, that's I think, another one. Very few things do. Bullet the, does. The question you ask about NRA, I mean, I think it could be either okay. I don't, I wouldn't want to, I mean, to say could it be really good because of this? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would think that you'd get less offshore people coming into to our place. I mean, I don't know how much of NRA. I mean, Greg, you probably know because you were part of that. But how many foreign visitors come opposed to domestic people that come to that? I think just struck me as what's really going to take off. If I'm Restaurant Depot, I'm licking my chops and I'm raising my prices. Anybody with a carryout store in this business. Oof. If you've got product. Well, if you've got product. But if you're going to sell out of all your product and you're not going to be able to get any more, my guess is you're going to see some serious price increases. Typically, back in my day as vice president of sales and marketing for the NRA show, we'd have visitors from well over 100 countries, believe it or not. And right. No, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. It was a growing and very important segment, both on from the exhibitor side and from the attendee side. We, I was there during the uh, SARS scare, and it just it made life very miserable as a show operator. But that, but that was the timing was such that it became controllable. It was some of the fear was taken out in time to save the show. Now I don't know what's going to be going forward. What's going to be going forward here uh, with the time of the NRA show? I don't know. I, we're we're about a month into this now. It seems like since it really became public and everybody started talking about it, hitting the news wave. Yeah. I think this has got a long way to go before it starts to get better, meaning it's going to get a lot worse before it gets much better because now it's spreading into the last couple of days they've talked about it spreading into uh, South Korea and into Italy. So if you've got it in those places, not that not there are some products that come from those areas, but you're not going to get to travel and tourism in those areas. And if you're selling you know, tabletop products and hospitality, the hotels aren't going to be as full. The restaurants aren't going to be as full. And and that's true probably of certain types of restaurants here. Chinatown, for instance, uh, in any in any major city in the U.S., probably uh, business is not so good these days. Well, and you think about all those conversations we had about ghost restaurants, food trucks, and yep. delivery, what's going to happen there. But, I mean, Greg, do you know anybody in NRA you could ask, ask if, what they think, any, anybody you could get an opinion from? Sure. I'll follow up. Yeah, I haven't heard. I haven't heard any. I don't know statement. Let's put it that way from NRA or from Housewares Show. And, I, and it's not that I've been watching for it, so I might have missed it. But I think people need to take whatever actions they can, and they're obviously going to be limited. But take whatever actions they can to promote the sa- safety, certainly in security. Because to me, it's not much different than a terrorism kind of threat. You do what you can do to prevent any issues happening or any situations happening. But this is different. If I was setting up a trade show booth in Chicago at NRA, I'd have, especially like the size of the rack booth, which is really enormous, I'd have four of those hand sanitizers dispensers on each corner of my booth. And maybe just inside the ropes, you know, just doing stuff like that to try to make people feel good, you know, because everybody's picking up glassware and plates. So someone comes in and they want to clean their hands before or after they do that. So little things like that, I mean, it's, I don't know. I know that that's a good point. Uh, Ambiente did exactly that. They had these. Uh, I'm a visionary, and I and he just thought I was thinking about Corona beer. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a crazy, uh, crazy world, and I don't think this is going to get better anytime soon. And unfortunately, one of the questions I was asked recently by a vendor is, what happens to smaller companies that either source product from China or rely heavily on components out of China? 
And I think that's a tough answer because it's not easy to move your sourcing uh, on a, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden source from another part of the world. Think about the automotive business. Think about the, the yep. you know, think about the, well, there's a lot of those cars are made in America now, but what's going to happen to Nissan and Toyota and all that stuff. Thank God they got plants in America. Well, but then speaking of that, you also have the issue of, I read a headline that uh, Jaguar Land Rover uh, just built a, I don't know, 20 million $40 million factory in China to make vehicles specifically for the Chinese market. They just finished it, just was getting it up and running, and now it's completely closed. So the financial impact to a company, uh, that that's fine. It's going to have a global impact. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's just how bad. But I think they, too, was it nine months they were saying before they'll even get a sniff of the virus? I know they're going crazy working on it, obviously, but I have no idea. I heard I heard a number somewhere in there. I don't want to throw something out to scare anybody, but I, I think it was nine months. On our other podcast, Seat Yourself, I made the announcement that we weren't going to talk a lot about it because I think that it's it's so fast moving and changing daily, maybe even hourly, that I'd rather have people I'd rather not say stuff that's three or four days old. And the other thing is is that it's at least according to a lot of people, they believe it's being well underreported, the impact of it. Oh, I, I- I would agree with that. So rather than try to give uh, information and sound authoritative, I'd rather have people get their information from other sources. But this is, in my time in food service, this is one of the, the crazier things that's happened. Yeah, and I think you got to be careful. I mean, it's not good and the numbers are, they are what they are. But hey, listen, we're a long way from it turning into the plague. <laughs> I, don't think we gotta, you know, I think we need to be a little optimistic. We have the best medical people on the planet working on it, I'm sure. So kind of got to keep the faith a little bit or stock up on bullet bourbon not going out of my house after talking to you guys <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, no, i'm going yeah. to crawl into my desk and get into the fetal position <laughs> well as i said to somebody in frankfurt i've got a lot of germs in my body what's a few more well you got to be careful you know it's a great point too because i don't know if you guys have followed it but you know there, there were several people on over the weekend talking i mean what's been, been talking about it for a while but you know everybody's going crazy with all of these hand sanitizers and they're saying you got to be careful that because you your body becomes re- resistant, then it doesn't work, I guess. is that They're saying just wash your hands with soap and water and you know, do that kind of thing. No idea. No idea. I think it's going to be a topic that we can talk about nearly every uh, on every episode of Every Other Thursday, and we will definitely talk about it again. By the time uh, the next episode comes around, I'm sure there'll be a lot more news out there about it. So, well, we just got to say our prayers and be, be hopeful that the good Lord looks over all of us. But you know, you got all of that going on. Then you look what's going on in our country with unsanitary conditions in big cities and all of those things. You know, we got to be careful. Yep. Lots to think about these days. Everybody stay safe. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on this episode of Every Other Thursday. We'll catch you again in two weeks. We're back. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jay. It's been great getting back together with you again. And again, I apologize, folks, for overscheduling and not being around for the last episode. But we're back on it. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. You're welcome. We'll catch you next time on Every Other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.